say c'est bon. Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Like those French people do. Because it's all so good. For season two's kickoff of Paris Good Food and Wine, we'll be hearing from Sylvie Caz, the civic-minded Bordelaise, who is now the proud owner of her very own wine estate. She purchased Chateau Chauvin, a beautiful 15 hectares piece of Saint-Emilion terroir that sits in the upper part of the Appalachian, just near Pomerol. She purchased this Grand Cru Class A vineyard from two sisters a bit over a year ago. 2014 is her first vintage release from the estate and one she is rightfully proud of. If you pay any attention at all to French wine critics, you'll be eager to not just taste this excellent Merlot Cabernet Franc blend, but also buy a few cases to cellar for future enjoyment. Then we'll be hearing from legendary chef Alain Passard of Paris's three Michelin starred Arpège. I caught up with the chef earlier in the summer, just before he was heading off to Bordeaux, where he was the executive chef of the summertime Jurade festivities in Saint-Emilion. Coincidentally, it was at this year's Saint-Emilion Jurade ceremonies in June that Sylvie Caz was inducted, along with a few other celebrated personalities, into this exclusive brother-sisterhood of winemakers and wine industry experts and enthusiasts. For our restaurant review, we have a band of fees. Fee meaning, of course, in French, girls. This segment is called Les Filles qui mangent, girls who eat. And for this piece, we have two previously featured guests on last season's shows, Lindsay Tremuta and Margaret Kemp, weighing in on two of their favorite Parisian eateries. So sit back and relax as you listen to the launch show of our season two of Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host and producer, Paige Donner.
absolute great honor and, and, and privilege and pleasure to be sitting at Chaponfin with Sylvie Caz. And this is the exact location where she, just a little bit earlier this year, a few a month ago or so, just after Primeur, she released her brand new Chauvin label. So Sylvie's here to talk to us about this absolute wonderful development in Saint-Emilion. Yes, thank you, Paige. Actually, um, I bought the property one year ago, so it was really exciting, uh, starting first with my first vintage. So um, I had the chance that my uh, former technical director at Pichon Lalande came to join me on this uh, opportunity at Chauvin last year. And we did our first vintage starting on the 1st of May and finishing mid-October when the last grapes were in. And then, so we did quite a lot of things on the vineyard and on in the cellars, but the most important thing for us was really to give the best to the terroir, which is, I think, one of the best terroir of Saint-Emilio. And... Um, can you just clarify that a little bit? Like, why would it be the, one of the best terroirs of Saint-Emilion? Because Saint-Emilion is, of course, one of the most excellent in the world. Yes. Actually, um, Saint-Emilion has three types of terroir. And among the and we are part of the northern part of Saint-Emilion, which is close to Cheval Blanc and La Dominique. And we are um, uh, on the same kind of soil as Pomerol, really. We're very close to Pomerol, which means that we have uh, clay, clay, sandy soils with uh, clay layers quite near the surface and then iron crust, we say, uh, which which give a very particular taste to the wine and to and um what, one of the best what, what, what's that what's that word what's that expression in french the iron crust uh c'est les, la crasse de fer i don't know what yeah would you you would call it exactly in english actually but um it's very important it gives a very uh, typical flavor to the merlot particularly and uh, in some areas uh we have uh, very good areas for cabernet franc as well which we are developing but um, but it's a majority of, of Merlot. And uh, so the wines uh, illustrated the, the quality of this terroir. I mean, this year in 2014, we were quite happy with uh, what we got. There was a very good sunshine, especially at the end. I mean, the month of September was fabulous. We picked under great sun and uh, definitely very concentrated grapes. We're, and we try to get the most lovely texture and elegant texture to the tannin. So um, we are, we're very happy to present the wines in, in at the beginning of April. Uh, and I know that that was a big event here in, in uh, at Chaponfan, and all the, all the wine writers here in France have been have been talking about it. And are you doing this as a solo uh, affair, uh, Sylvie, or do you have pe- you have family helping you? Or well, we we I bought the property with my children. I have three children. But among the three of them, only my daughter wants to join me on this venture. So um, she is studying at the moment, finishing studying on wine property management. And she's uh, going to join me. Actually, it's funny because we bought the property from two ladies who were sisters, not mother and daughter, but sisters, and uh, who did a great job, actually, with the property for 20 years. And so, you know, it's a rather feminine story. And we decided that... Because we needed to change the label, you know, it was a new story and we needed to change it. So we brought, we took an old label from 1929 that we discovered uh, in the property. And we decided to um, remodel it, giving it a sort of elegant and more feminine style than the previous one. So to illustrate this. 
You know, and just having had a look at that that label, it's very approachable. It's very readable. I don't feel like I have to have a PhD in Bordeaux wine label, you know, reading to to understand it. Uh, is there any is there any symbolism in the the angel riding a, a Yes, yes. Actually, um, we decided to, well, we added this because we wanted to have a sort of um, illustration of what the word Chauvin means because there was no great chateau that we could put on the label. And so, and actually Chauvin means, of course, in one sense chauvinist, but in French, it sounds much, much nicer because it means the person who is so proud of his land and so, so, so loving. I mean, he, he loves his land so much. And we find this little uh, drawing from mythology regular regular um, a regular image in mythology of a cupid the god of love uh, um, cuddling a lion meaning that love is stronger than any than evil if you want and and so and the lion is the emblem of saint million so we decided to put it on the label uh, and it's you know it's also a feminine story as well so we enjoyed it that's, yeah, that's full of representation and, and, and symbolism. Uh, do you have any um, nice little tips as to what your, the, you know, your release, your first release then, uh, what kind of pairings can we, can we look for? Well, actually, um, this 2014 will need a few years to, uh, to really develop to its best. Uh, not I mean, you don't have to wait 20 years, uh, of course, but let's say five or six years, and then it will be really uh, booming and, and showing its best, even more, if you, even a few more if we really want the, the real best. But I would say that, um, of course, it can go with a lot of things, but, you know, I think with a meat which is not too strong, not, not, not like venison or anything, but on the country, a meat which could be veal or beef or something simple, or duck would be really great. I mean, the duck we had at the Chaponfin uh, lunchtime, for example, would perfectly go with it. And um, and I think, you know, the way we cook it, which is not too cooked, will really balance the, um, the, the, the roundness of the Merlot, the fruit of the Merlot, and at the same time, the little, uh, st the, well, the structure, which is a bit more um, strengthened, given by the Cabernet, the Cabernet Franc this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that Cabernet Franc gives that nice little, that nice backbone, if you exactly. will. Exactly. And this is what you find in the, in the 2014. You have the, the roundness and, and the silkiness of the Merlot texture. And at the same time, you have the backbone of the, of the Cabernet Franc, which adds to it. We actually have over 20% in the blend of the 2014. And we're very proud of that because it really gives a, a really nice wine with a lot of, uh, with a good, uh, good body, a good core we say really and um so we, i think it will well go with that kind of dish <laughs> well here, cheers to women winemakers <laughs> thank you <laughs> cheers to you all thank you thank you so much sylvie next up we'll be hearing from the creative talented artistic human charming three michelin starred chef alan passard direct from his kitchens at arpege the famed Paris restaurant in the 7th arrondissement. Okay, Chef Passard, uh, thank you so much for making the time um, to have us in your kitchens. <laughs> so any of the clanging in the background is uh, preparation for today's lunch. So um, Charlotte, thank you too for being here and, and translating the questions for us. I, the first question I wanted to ask you, uh, Chef Passard, is 
before you were this great chef of arpege, uh, you speak a lot about your grandmother and the influence that she had on you. Can you talk a little bit more about that again? Chef, avant que vous soyez le grand chef que vous êtes aujourd'hui, vous parliez beaucoup de l'influence qu'a eu oui. votre grand-mère sur ah, votre cuisine. Est-ce que vous pouvez nous en dire un peu plus Alors donc, ma grand-mère a eu une, une, je dirais à la fois une mission et un talent extraordinaire. C'est qu'elle elle, m'a fait comprendre que j'avais des sens, que j'avais cinq sens. Et ces cinq sens... My grandmother had a mission and an extraordinary talent. She made me realize that I had five senses. She's always tried to explain them to me. She was always far-sighted. She was vigilant, too. Always putting the fine touch to things. She would tell me, pay attention to your visual presentation. She taught me to listen to the music of fire. And then, of course, the taste of it, too. She would tell me, you must always finesse a seasoning by its smell. She taught me to perfect a sauce using my nose by just smelling the sauce or the seasoning. I think it was wonderful because when you're eight or 10 years old, usually you are never told about your senses. I'm blessed to have had this grandmother who taught me this, which was wonderful. So I quickly tried to implement all of this in my own cooking. Today, she is still very present. She's really the one who taught me my first seasonings, my first dishes. She also taught me to buy beautiful products. She had this great gift for finding the perfect shellfish, poultry, or fish. Each day, I thank her for bequeathing me all of that. She's very present in the house, in my kitchen. Elle m'a surtout aussi appris à acheter le beau produit. Elle avait un talent fou pour trouver le, le beau coquillage, le beau poisson, la belle volaille. Hein, et donc, bah, chaque jour, je la remercie de m'avoir laissé tout ça. Et elle est très présente dans cette maison, dans cette cuisine. J'ai toujours le sentiment de la voir dans le fond de mes yeux. Nice, and you know, and that leads us right into the next question, which is, you know, you are one of, you are, you are the first, and I think still the only chef uh, here in Paris to have to maintain and have your own vegetable gardens. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is that a, a huge effort on your part or does it balance out in the sense that you have complete control over the wonderful produce that you serve here? Vous avez donc créé des potagers. Vous êtes probablement l'un des seuls chefs à Paris à avoir ses propres potagers. Est-ce que vous avez un contrôle sur les choix que vous faites Est-ce que c'est vous qui dites quels légumes vous voulez faire pousser au potager Parlez-nous-en un peu plus. C'est une belle histoire. Mes jardins m'ont changé ma vie. Ils m'ont changé ma vie de cuisinier. Mes jardins m'ont fait redécouvrir ce que voulait dire le printemps, ce que voulait dire l'été, l'automne et l'hiver. It's a great story. Gardens have changed my life, my life as a chef. They've made me rediscover the meaning of spring, summer, autumn and winter. My style as a chef reached a new level thanks to my gardens because nature has taught me so much. Nature taught me that I was only supposed to use tomatoes in my kitchen three months of the year. It's huge, extraordinary. My cooking has become a lot more exact, more precise, thanks to my garden. Moreover, this allows me to show appreciation for another profession, that of the gardeners. Then, there's this notion of anticipation, having to wait for that aubergine, asparagus, zucchini, spring, summer... 
one's cuisine becomes so much better, more in tune with the season, thanks to what Mother Nature has planned. Savoir attendre une courgette. Savoir attendre le printemps. Savoir attendre l'été. Et cette notion de rendez-vous. Et on fait une cuisine qui est tellement meilleure, tellement plus juste, grâce à ce que la nature a mis en place. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's, uh, it's, it's almost exciting when you see the seasons come. I mean, it's, ex, it's exciting. And, and when you have a garden, it must be even more exciting. So, and, and again, that leads us wonderfully right into the next question, which is, you have been focusing on vegetables and doing haute gastronomy, haute cuisine with vegetables for a decade or two decades now, two decades now. And recently, other chefs in the spotlight are embracing this kind of approach. Is this, um, is this a, a trend, or is this an evolution of the way that we're eating now? Vous êtes un des premiers à avoir créé cette cuisine légumière, on m'a dit aujourd'hui, ça fait plus de 20 ans que vous faites cela. D'autres chefs vous suivent. Est-ce que vous pensez que c'est une mode, ou est-ce que c'est vraiment l'évolution de la cuisine euh, je, je pense que c'est plus une évolution de la cuisine. Je pense que euh, cette cuisine légumière doit, doit trouver sa place, comme, comme la cuisine du, de, 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 de la mer ou, ou la cuisine à base de tissu animal. Cette cuisine légumière, elle est euh, aujourd'hui de toute façon la cuisine la plus créative. On a. Euh, I think it's an evolution of cuisine. I think this vegetable-based cuisine must find its place, just like seafood or meat-based cooking. Today's vegetable-based cuisine is undoubtedly more creative. First of all, nothing has ever been done with a leek or a beetroot. All must be invented. Moreover, other forms of cooking do not have the same level of creativity because a carrot or a turnip have a specific color, shape, form, fragrance, and flavor. Through all of this, one must become extremely creative, as one can behave a little bit like an artist or a sculptor, almost like a designer. In fact, we sometimes use the words vegetable fabric. It's almost like haute couture. On top of that, this form of cooking is very relaxing, healthy, and easy to digest, provided one respects the seasons. It's quite a poetic cuisine, almost a musical cuisine, a cuisine that sings a cuisine which is both soothing to cook and to savor. So I believe we're only opened the very first pages of this book. I think we'll go really far with this form of cuisine because there is so much inspiration that comes from a garden. C'est presque un livre, cette cuisine légumière. On est sur un livre dont on vient d'ouvrir les premières pages. Et je pense qu'on va aller très loin très très loin parce que il y a énormément d'inspiration dans un jardin. That is so beautiful. You know how they say there are horse whisperers and dog whisperers, people who have a, a special communication. I think you are a, a plant and, and vegetable and flower whisperer. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chef Arpège. You're welcome. You welcome, welcome. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner.
we'll hear a few words from our band of filles, a.k.a. les filles qui mangent, or girls who eat. Namely, for this segment, Lindsay Tremuta and Margaret Kemp. All right, so for this segment called Les Filles qui Mange, which translates as Girls Who Eat, I have Lindsay Tremuda and Margaret Kemp here, and they're going to share with us their current fave place, meaning if you were their best friend and you were hitting the town for a day or two or, or a week, this is the, one of the first places they would take you. So, Margaret, are you ready to take it away? Yes, the, the other day I was in the Rue d'Aguerre, which is a, one of the famous uh, street markets in Paris. There are about 75 of them, actually. But So uh, I suggest that the first thing you do with a best friend is check out the street markets, because they really are just Paris. They describe Paris perfectly. So I found this restaurant called Augustin, because it was all shiny and new, and it had been taken over. It's an old brasserie, which had been revised and corrected by a gentleman called Augustin, who is uh, from Corsica, and he has a chef who is French, but who loves Corsica as well. So you've got a spin of French traditional dishes with a little touch of Corsica, like the seasonal um, cheeses from Corsica, Corsican wines, and um, it's just a very, very interesting menu. There's a terrace outside for sunny days where you can sit, and there's a zinc bar, so you can just go in and have uh, a plate of charcuterie and a glass of patrimonio uh, Corsican wine, and it's just a great atmosphere. It's a great place for making new best friends. Do you have to have a loaded wallet, or can you just, is it what, about what per person? No, um, you can get a three-course uh, lunch or dinner for about 38 euros, which I don't think in this current uh, economic climate is, is that, that bad. But you can also just have a glass of wine and a plate of charcuterie. So uh, you, can, you, can, you can judge your own budget. You can make your own budget. Fantastic, fantastic. And now, the desserts are amazing. Ah, are they also Corsican or? They are, yes, they are inspired. Some of them are inspired by Corsica um, and others are like French traditional uh, desserts, a chouchou, which um, my best friend said was better than the one at Angelique, but don't tell Angelique. And Lindsay, um, what's your favorite place? So I have a, a particular fondness for Le Richer, which is in the 10th, right on the corner of Rue Richer and uh, uh, Faubourg Poissonniere. And um, what's an interesting little personal anecdote about this is that I remember when it was Le Richer, a no-frills uh, lunchtime brasserie, be sort of nicer than a brasserie, but, you know, barely a bistro, um, back uh, around 2009. And then when it, became, it was taken over by, you know, a very young entrepreneurial uh, restaurateur uh, and turned it into something really exceptional. So it's really a destination. And not only did I just recently take a, a close friend there who was passing through Paris, but I took my family when they came to visit last summer. And the greatest thing about it is they have sort of continued service. You can go for a, a nice little easy breakfast uh, in the morning. They have they sort of do a lunch service, um, and you can go in for you know very much like uh, like Margaret said. You you know there's this culture of being able to just stroll in in sort of the middle of the afternoon if you if you have a little hankering for, for for a glass of wine or a plate of charcuterie. Uh, but for me, the real 
environment comes to life in the evening. Um, so there's, it doesn't, they don't take any reservations. You just sort of need to go. Uh, and the cooking is very market fresh. They have a handful of appetizers, a handful of, of mains, that's it. And the desserts are spectacular and always tend to incorporate some sort of a fruit, um, in, in, in really wonderful ways. And it's, and it's really simple, but beautifully done flavorful cooking and the and the biggest advantage is that it won't break your wallet um i think the price to quality ratio is almost unbeatable uh in in the city so it's become definitely a favorite and one i've been pleased to see has grown in uh uh, in in the number of locals and regulars that uh, that really go there, so there's this sense of community. You you tend to see people you've you've seen there before. So it's a wonderful spot. The menu changes often, and I've never ever had a bad experience. And neither did my father, who said that of the places I took him in Paris, it was absolutely his favorite and the most memorable. Wonderful to hear. And that's in the Grand Boulevard. In that area, yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a, it's several blocks uh, from the actual Grand Boulevard, uh, where you've got Le Grand Rex, and then, you know, just head head down a couple of blocks, and and there it is, ready and waiting. And Margaret, yours was in the in the 14th arrondissement. Is that correct? Yes, Rue Daguerre, and uh, it's a, a Metro Gaete or Donfer Rochereau. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you visiting Paris in September. And for those of us living here, September is always a busy month in the city with lots of events for the rentrée, what the French call the time of year when they are back from their July and August summer vacations. This season, a few highlights having to do with food and wine are the Street Food Temple. For its second year running, the event space, Carreau de Temple, is hosting a weekend-long event from the 25th to the 27th September, featuring street food from all over the world. This year, South Korea holds the place of honor, and all are welcome to stop by and feast of these delightful tastes and aromas. The Carreau de Temple is in the third arrondissement, very close, in fact, to Paris's oldest covered market, the Marché des Enfants Rouges. Another culinary highlight this month is the floating market, or Marché Flottante, that is taking place September 18th to 20th in the 5th arrondissement. Here, along the Quai Montebello and de la Tournelle, you will find boats, skiffs, and barges, all filled with small artisanal producers of food gems from the southwest of France, such as foie gras, wines full of sunshine, fattened duck, and other delectables. And just a heads up to mark on your calendar for October is the festive and favorite annual Vendange de Montmartre where the entire village of Montmartre and much of Paris, too, celebrate the harvest of the small vineyard that graces the sloping hill which descends from just behind the Musée de Montmartre. These four days of festivities are filled with parades, song and dance, and, of course, quite a lot of wine drinking. Definitely not to miss, especially if you've never been. The dates for this year, the 82nd annual, are October 7th to 11th. For more information about these and other Paris happenings, go to paris.fr. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine. I'm your host and producer, Paige Donner, and a grand merci to the Good Food and Wine team. Paris, Good Food and Wine is brought to you in part by the generous support of FUSAC, Paris's English language website and community resource since 1988. Visit www.fusac.fr And the show is also brought to you by the support of Paris Food and Wine. Visit us at parisfoodandwine.net Thanks for joining us for this half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine. Because it's so, so good. Ah, voilà. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.